Ari the Addisons. Well, let me say this as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Erring the Addisons here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, once again holding it down for the family, sending you greetings from the Addison tribe. Uh, thank you for joining me today. I have a, one particular topic that I want to talk about uh, today, and it, 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 it kind of uh, piggyback off what I talked about Friday, but there's an article that was uh, written, and you can find it on One News Now, and I'll get to that article uh, in just a moment. First, I want you to do some housekeeping things. Download our podcast at AFR.net, AFR.net. Uh, go there and there's a podcast tab, which you can click and just search for Aaron Addison's or whatever show that you would like to download. Uh, so that's AFR.net. Also, email us at uh, Addison's at AFR.net, Addison's at AFR.net. Also want to remind you that the Living the Gospel During Difficult Times Town Hall, the one right outside of Birmingham, Alabama, has been canceled. But if you go to AFA.net and look under the Events tab, you can see where other town halls are happening. Remember to go and watch the documentary In His Image. You can go to InHisImage.movie, InHisImage.movie, and also... Just, just know that uh, Operation Christmas Child is, is underway. Uh, I'll be talking more about that. But I want to um, take a moment because a lot of what's going on, and I, and I was talking to someone today, my main focus is, is on what's happening with the body of Christ, with the church. If you have listened to Aaron Addison's uh, with my wife and I, we discuss different topics, but the main thrust is that uh, of the, the body of Christ and how we as Christians uh, should live practically in our day, you know, uh, in a biblical way. And so there was a, um, a time in, in church history where, and, and, and Miki always says that, that the gospel has never existed uh, in safety. Never existed in safety. There's always something or some heresy or are some people trying to, to come out and, uh, and and dilute the gospel, change things, say that, you know, the, the word of God is not really uh, uh, what it is. And, you know, there's always an attack. But in the, I think we are living now, as far as the church is concerned, in an uh, Athanasius moment in the 21st century church. I think this is an Athanasius moment. So Athanasius, Athanasius was called the Black Dwarf <laughs> by his enemies. Athanasius was the Bishop of Alexandria. Uh, he was exiled five times by four different Roman emperors. 
Uh, he spent 17 of his of, of the 45 years he served as Bishop of Alexandria in exile because of his fears contending for the faith. So this was a, a man that was very fierce. He, he understood the word of God and he was willing to fight and contend for the truth. Uh, the reigning orthodoxy of that day was Arianism. And it, Arianism was the belief uh, promoted uh, that said, if the father beget the son, then he who was begotten had a beginning in existence. And from this, it follows there was a time when the son was not. And so this was, the, it was this was the prevailing thought of that time that Jesus was created, that he didn't always exist. And it was popular during during this time when Athanasius lived, and it was promoted by a guy named Arius, who at the time, Athanasius was a, um, see, he was a, a chief deacon assistant to the bishop of, of uh, Alexander. And Arius was a presbyter, or like a priest. So all the popularity and everything was on Arius' side. And so you could see even why, you know, uh, Athanasius was exiled, you know, things were, I mean, he was fighting the uphill battle. He didn't have everything on his side, but he had the truth. He had the truth of the word of God. And I think today we are living in a moment, and I call it uh, the Athanasius moment in the 21st century church. Because there, and look, there's a lot of things that are attacking the church from all different angles. You know, we have the uh, documentary that we just did in his image that tackles, you know, um, uh, just the questions about gender and, you know, what the Bible says about male and female and, you know, transgender, transgenderism and, and all these things. Can you be gay and a Christian? All these these are all things that are, I would say, attacking the body of Christ and the word of God. We also have, on the other hand, you know, uh, ideologies of uh, critical race theory, uh, intersectionality, talks about white white privilege and all these different things are hitting the church at one time. And so I think we're in a moment where as the believers of God, we have to stand. We may not be the popular preacher of the day. We may not have the best vocabulary. We may not be the ones who are out front. But man, where you are, you can stand for truth. And that's one of the lessons that I, I gleaned from Athanasius because like I said, everything wasn't on his side. He wasn't, you know, the, the favored uh, person at the time. The doctrine that he was fighting against was the prevailing thought of the day. But he stood firm on the word of God and God used him uh, in a powerful way to uphold the truth. And so today I want to I'm, I'm going to run through a few scriptures that I mentioned uh, on Friday I think I have one that, that I didn't. But as we as we are looking at the church today, and man, this is something that's always on my heart. You know, I'm constantly talking to Miki and to Abe, Abraham, about uh, these things because I see where the enemy is really trying to uh, destroy and tear down the church. And again, I know that the gospel has never existed in safety and has always been a contending by the body of Christ. But I think, and as I look 
at the church, look at the church in America. I think I see is a, is more of a, a apathy toward defending uh, the body of Christ in the Word of God. That's more of a you know maybe an ignorance on what's really going on, how some of these schemes and, and devices are even making their way into the local churches, because a lot of what's happening, and not to get ahead of myself, is that there are people who are being trained in seminaries with certain uh, uh, ideologies that they're bringing that teaching to local churches as they become pastors and as they become leaders within the church. They have certain mindsets and views that they have gotten from uh, academia. And the, the, the typical layperson may not understand all these terms and all these words and, and things that are, 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 are happening, but they, they, they feel like something is different, different and changing. You know, man, why are we talking about this in the church? What's going on here? You know, and that may be your experience. I would say if you're having that experience in your church, don't just write that off as, you know, oh, well, they know what's best. I don't know anything. You have the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit resides within you. And if there's something that you feel is off as you study the word of God and certain things are being taught within the church, Man, God may be showing you something that has to be contended with. Now, we do it with respect, with honor for those who are in leadership, but nonetheless, we do it. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of things, but this, the scriptures that I have written down here, uh, the first one is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through uh, 3. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbade marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So in the latter times, the word of God says some will fall away from the faith. That's happening, y'all. That's happening. You know, in talking with Miki, she always says that, you know, we always thought that the great falling away would be just people like maybe leaving the church in droves. But what's happening is people are falling away and still trying to associate with the church. They're falling away, but they're still in the, the, the church buildings. <laughs> But they're they're taking on different uh, 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 teachings and, and thoughts while in the church that, you know, and it's separating them from God. And then it goes on to say, paying attention to deceitful spirits, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. It's almost like they have let their guard down. They have maybe gone away from uh, the solid word of God and they have given their attention over to things to to teachings, to thoughts, you know, plausible arguments that that may sound good. And, and, and a lot of times with those arguments, what they do is they cater to the flesh. There's something in us that crave that, like, yeah, that, that sounds right. And so we give attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By, by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared uh, in their own conscience uh, with, as with a branding iron. 
And so this is happening in real time. There are things right now that's a, a, a big threat to the church. Another scripture is Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 4. And it says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive or plausible argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see uh, your, your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and uh, overflowing with gratitude. Verse 8, it says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all, uh, all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. This is happening in real time once again in the church. And like I said, we're going to get into the article talking about this, and I'll explain what I mean uh, after this break. But the backdrop, I want to use these scriptures, that the warning is out there, that in latter times these things would happen. You know, don't be taken captive by philosophy and empty deception. But what I'm seeing happening in the church is just that. And we have to be on guard. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. We'll take a quick break. I'll be right back. Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison once again. And today I'm talking about 
the Athanasius moment of the 21st century church. I feel like we're in a moment uh, similar to what uh, a brother Athanasius uh, went through where he was contending for the faith when there was heresy uh, in the midst of, of the church. And so we have to stiffen our backs, you know, against these things because, again, like I said, like Mickey says, that the gospel has never existed in safety. And so what I was doing was reading some scriptures kind of as a backdrop to talk about an article uh, that uh, I read off of onenewsnow.com. And I'll post the, I'll put the article, the link uh, in the archives so you can you can have it as well. It's a great article. But let me just finish with a couple more scriptures and then, then I'll get into that. Uh, and so this is Ephesians chapter five, verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this admonishment, you know, to expose evil, to not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And again, there's mindsets, there's teachings that are trying to take the church captive, you know, uh, trying to take really our society. They're making the great headway in taking our society captive. But the church is what my focus is. Last scripture I want to share is Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five and six. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. So now I want to go to this article, a great article. Um, and the title is Danger Ahead, Critical Race Theory in the Church. Now, it's one of those things, again, uh, and, and, and maybe I'll have to um, post some links because we actually did a, a whole conference in Memphis that uh, uh, revolved around the idea of the church being invaded by critical race theory, intersectionality, uh, uh, teachings on white privilege and, and uh, all this stuff. And we did a whole uh, conference about it. It was called The Gospel is Enough. And uh, Miki has done um, teachings about the origins of this critical race theory, how it, came, how it was birthed out of critical theory, uh, how it uh, stems from Marxism and all this stuff. But it has really invaded the church through academia, through the seminaries, and we see it trickling down. Like I had someone who called me uh, and, I, and I listened to the message and I said, and, and the message said, in my church, they are using a certain curriculum that is like a, a, a curriculum of videos and we're watching this at Wednesday study and I'm kind of I'm concerned about what I'm seeing. So I went, I checked out one of the videos. I have to, to watch the rest, but I understand what she's saying, because some of these ideas are being spouted in that in a video, you know, uh, white guilt and white privilege and all this kind of stuff. So this article. 
Uh, very good article. And I'll just read some points. So it, it talks about critical race theory, the, author, the authoritarian nature of CRT, intersectionality and anti-racism, suppresses dialogue and fosters separation, uh, which in practice undermines Christian reconciliation and the identity of the church. It goes on to say, with church leadership increasingly preaching the secular dogma promoted by the left and anti-racist dogmas, Green, who's the author of this, Derek Green, who wrote this article, uh, sees intersectionality as merely a sanctimonious advertisement of his stance against discrimination. He interprets this as essentially telling Christians that the Bible is an insufficient foundation for man's identity concerning the dynamics of interpersonal relationships. So right off the bat, we know that God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness to deal with any situation, any circumstance, we can go to the word of God. And what critical race theory tries to do is say that we have tools to help you to interpret better how to have interpersonal relationships with one another. What we have in scripture, we have, you know, the Colossians chapter three, Colossians two. We have those different, you know, uh, scriptures that talk about how we interact with one another. But critical race theory say, no, you need some tools outside of the Bible. The Bible is not sufficient enough to deal with the stuff that you're dealing with today as it concerns interpersonal relationships. Now, intersectionality concedes by reinforcing a power totem built on built upon partiality, hate and vengeance, which fortifies a rigid power hierarchy to achieve solidarity and justice. He says the Bible clearly rejects this in favor of the righteous and equalizing power of love. So intersectionality is one is another term that that is used. And it's basically uh, a term where if I have enough, if I have more intersectionality points than you, it's basically I'm the bigger victim. I'm the bigger victim. I'm a black male. You know, I would have more points than a white male. A white male, matter of fact, would be at the bottom of the pole. So I would have more points. So I'm more of a victim. So I need to be catered to more because of that. So Green goes on. He's, uh, he lays out a definition of intersectionality, which is described in critical race theory and introduction as the examination of race, sex, class, national origin and sexual orientation and how their combination plays out in various settings. These categories and still others can be separate uh, disadvantaging factors that operate at an intersection of recognized sites of oppression. Thus, he says, certain individuals are considered victims of bias threefold. And he gave an example, and maybe this would explain, because look, a lot of this has come out of academia. So the trick of the enemy in this is to have these big words and these big terms that mean all this stuff. And for the normal lay person like myself, not to understand it, you know, but it's happening, but I don't really get it. All I'm getting from my pastor or from my leaders that, man, we need to show more love, man. We need to, man, we got to repent because man, things were done in the past, but they have, there, there are uh, academic terms that are put 
on these things, but you know, it's 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 shown to the 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 layperson as like, man, we're just operating in love. Check out this uh, example he gives. Under the ideolo- ideological framework, a woman potentially experiences discrimination because of her gender, but if she's a black woman, she may experience discrimination based on her gender and her race. So she has two points there. She's not only a woman that would make her a victim, but she's a black woman. So she's more of a victim from like of gender and race. So if this black woman is a lesbian, she then theoretically experiences discrimination or oppression based on her gender, race and sexual identity. So you can see even with this intersectionality, how that whole uh, realm of, you know, LGBTQ and all that, how it fits in this too. It's all linked. And it's, it's a linked attack on the church because these mindsets have entered into the church in a way that, that says that if you don't uh, submit to this, man, you, you're racist. <laughs> like, you need to bow down to this because, man, your heart must be hard because, man, these people are oppressed and you don't recognize it. And you're standing there like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Why should I feel guilty? Why do I need to repent? I say, well, just because you're white and you're a man. <laughs> it's crazy, y'all. It's crazy. The intersection of identities expands the possibility of encountering multiple forms of discrimination or social uh, oppression as these identities are associated with traditionally marginalized groups attempting to address discrimination without recognition of all intersecting identities is to be complicit in the persistence of discrimination. So for you to say, no, no, it's not like that. I don't, you are assisting in the persistence of discrimination by saying, no, this is not how it is. You know, I don't recognize this is not what, what I'm doing by virtue of you saying that that's being racist. So Green then addresses the dichotomy of conservative versus liberal Christian thought on this matter. It says many Christians view intersectionality as uh, legitimizing vic- victimization in pursuit of power and unearned moral authority. And subsequently, they see intersectionality as reestablishing the dividing wall of hostility that Christ destroyed. I would say a big amen to that. That all has been destroyed by the cross. But we're bringing that wall back together and saying that this divides us. It divides us because I'm black and you're white and, you know, you're this and I'm that. Man, Christ already destroyed that. Therefore, they fittingly reject it. Other Christians, however, enthusiastically welcome and exalt the practice of self-identifying with multiple marginalized identities. Generally, these are people representative of what is increasingly called the Christian left. The Christian left. That's amazing. So there's some people who bring it, and that's what's happening more and more. There's, there's a, a certain group of Christians who are in, in, uh, embracing this, and they're saying, man, no, we have to look at this. Man, there, there's something there. So they enthusiastically welcome and, and, and exalt this practice of self-identifying with multiple marginalized identities. So that's happening. 
and goes on to say one such leftist group, and he names a group here called Reconciling Ministries Network, which maintains, now listen to this, that it equips and mobilizes United Methodists to resist evil, injustice, and oppression as we seek justice for people of all sexual orientations and gender identities. Now, this is supposed to be a Christian group. This group says uh, we model the diversity of God's creation by training, equipping and supporting new leadership with intentional emphasis on the development of people of color, young adults and transgender leaders. So basically, we have set up our, our ministry, our network. To promote the least of us, the ones who are being marginalized, you know, the, the people of color, young adults and transgenders. Now, this is a Christian group. They go on to say to build a diverse network towards the goal of ending oppression and creating full inclusion of all people in the UMC, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, age, ability, race, ethnicity or socioeconomic status. So that this is why they are, are set up. And this would be, I guess, one of the groups on the Christian left, which is crazy to me. <laughs> So this is important. Green stresses how all that wording is adopted straight from the left's lexicon, not from the Bible. Going against God's stance on homosexuality, RMN actively promoted LGBTQ justice and inclusion in the church by celebrating the National Day of, of Coming Out during October 11th, during its October 11th uh, virtual worship service. They celebrated a, the day of coming out. Now, this is during a worship service, complete with Reverend Laura Andrews touting her pronouns, she, her, and hers, while assuring congregants the church welcomes and affirms and celebrates God's gay, queer, trans, and trans children. See, intersectionality ushers in the LGBTQ agenda. When you have those marginalized groups, anybody can fit in there. So not only, you know, is it for black folks and, you know, uh, uh, those who are uh, the, the youth or young people, but it's for LGBTQ, transgenders. They can also fall under this intersectionality. They've been marginalized even within the church. So we need to have a, a special spot for them as well and be able to lift them up. There's no talk of deliverance. There's no talk of come in. Yes, you can come into the church, but we're going to preach the gospel, you know, unadulterated. And man, we're going to believe that you're going to be set free. None of that. You come in and you can stay like you are. RMN self-described reconciliatory, uh, reconciliatory movement known as Rooted and Rising focus on center intersex, intersectional intersectional justice and equity equity is one of those buzzwords too equity when you hear that when you keep hearing equity like some uh, like an antenna should go up and say hold on wait wait let me look more into this and what they are really saying it says intersectionalities focus on superficial self definition contingent upon actively recreating one's own self in one's own image draws Christians away from their identity in Christ and it sure does it puts the focus on me on self not that I'm in Christ and I've been created made a new creature no this is just the way I am I'm marginalized y'all need to accept me 
This is Aaron Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. I'm Will Addison, and we're talking about uh, our Athanasius moment in the 21st century church. Um, coming from a, an article entitled Danger Ahead, Critical Race Theory in the Church, uh, written by Derek Green. And uh, I just want to continue on with some of the things that, to point out some of the things that he said. Uh, he said uh, intersectionality's focus on superficial self-definition contingent upon actively recreating oneself in one, one's own image draws Christians away from their identity in Christ. As more and more Christians expose intersectionality, the foundational premise of the Imago Dei and the obligation to conform one's spiritual identity around the fundamental teachings of God revealed Jesus Christ is rejected. Basically, the way I would have said that is that when you make less of Christ, you make more of everything else. Everything else, including yourself. You are on the throne. You are the one that, that is preeminent when you make less of Christ. It goes on to say the, the, the approach of come as you, come as you and come as you are and leave as you came reflects an endorsement of a life lived strictly according to the flesh with the assumption of divine acceptance and approval. You don't have to change. Deliverance? What's that? No, no, no. You can come. You can be gay and a Christian, and we're going to place you right here in the marginalized section. You're a victim. But you can come. You don't have to change. That's what this stuff is saying. When Jesus saved the adulterous woman from the pharisaical mob, he didn't condemn her. However, in combination with compassionate uh, clemency, Jesus counseled her to leave her life of sin. Similarly, Paul teaches Christians to clothe themselves in Christ rather than gratifying the desires of the flesh. Intersectional Christians, a contradictory term to be sure, refuse to do that. There's no change there. I can come as I am. OK, but and but I don't have the change. Not OK. Not okay. He goes on to say, in fact, he says, overcoming sin isn't the focus of intersectional Christians. Instead, they encourage people to be comfortable in their self-appropriated identities and accompanying lifestyles. Man, where do you see that at in the Bible? Where do you see that at in the Bible? It's nowhere. We ought to put off the old man and put on the new. There is a change that happens when we come into contact with Christ. This is amazing. The focus is on accepting assumed identities and corresponding ideologies of the flesh, which are purportedly uh, the primary reflection of who people are. This is who I am. This is my identity. But when we are in Christ, our identity, we're hidden in Christ. He says, this is in clear contrast to leading them towards who and what they can be in Christ. And I say, amen. Amen. This is in the church, y'all. 
we again, it's not only in church, it's happening in our culture. Because if you remember that first presidential debate with Chris Wallace, that question came up about critical race theory and he called and what he called uh, racial sensitivity training. And he asked, why, President Trump, are you against that? Why are you against that? Like, what's wrong with that? This stuff is diabolical. It teaches you to be racist, <laughs> to be partial. But this has entered into the realms of the body of Christ. Danger ahead, critical race theory in the church. As I said on Friday, today's narrative will say to the less melanated, you have white privilege and you are by nature the oppressor. It will say you need to repent for the sins of the less melanated people before you. Even if you are not partial yourself, you really are, but you don't know, don't know it. So repent. Be quiet because there's nothing that you can really add to this conversation about, you know, the struggle. They say be quiet and learn from the struggle of the more melanated people in society. So I don't want to hear the truth of God's word. If you, you know, you might come back and say, no, man, but brother, the Bible says, no, no, you need to be quiet and shut up and learn from my struggle. That's what this stuff is. It's, it's shutting people down, shutting them up. Today's narrative would say to the more melanated people like me, you are a victim of the systemic racism system. This system is, is, is built that, so that you can't do anything. You live in a system that's rigged to keep you down. You need to reject whiteness. And whiteness is like, you know, it's crazy. It's, it's a thing. You need to reject whiteness because whiteness will kill you. And again, I say, man, I can't do anything because I'm black. So, again, tell that to Booker T. Washington. George Washington Carver. That was another article and I just want to read this little piece from this article. It's along the same lines, but it's written to Jews. That this, this article, it says, stop being shocked. American liberalism is in danger from a new ideology, one with dangerous implications for Jews. So this is a Jewish person writing this and saying, like, they're seeing critical race theory, and they're like, man, this is dangerous. My heart is, this is dangerous for the church, and I see how it's, infiltrating the church and I'm like man sound the alarms let's not be passive on this this stuff is happening right now right now so I just read this portion of this uh, article it says uh, the new creeds premise goes something like this we are in a war in which the forces of justice and progress are arrayed against the forces of backwardness and oppression and in the war, the normal rules of the game, due process, political compromise, the presumption of innocence, free speech, even reason itself must be suspended. Indeed, those rules themselves were corrupt to begin with, designed as they were by dead white males in order to uphold their own power. This is, how, this is the belief of uh, critical race theorists. The master's tool, this is a quote, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house, as the writer Audrey Lord put it. And the master's house must be dismantled because the house is rooted at its, is rotted at its foundation. The house is rotted at its foundation. He goes on to say the beating heart 
of this new uh, ideology is critical race theory. The legal scholar Angela Harris put it concisely in her forward to critical race theory and introduction. Unlike traditional civil rights discourse, this is what this person says, which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality, uh, equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Critical race theory says there is no such thing as neutrality, not even in the law, which is why the very notion of colorblindness, the uh, Kingian dream of judging people not based on the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, must itself be deemed racist. Wow. (laughs) That is a she's saying that that is that's a racist statement that Dr. King made. Racism is no longer about individual discrimination. It is about systems that allow for disparate outcomes among racial groups. If everyone doesn't finish the race at the same time, then the course must have been flawed and should be dismantled. Wow. So everybody needs to, you know, finish at the same time. Like, it's not fair. It's not fair that this person, man, but I'm like, don't we live in America where just given the opportunity, I can do. And if I choose not to do, man, that's on me. That's on me. That's the efforts to do away with the SAT or the admissions test for elite public schools like uh, Lowell for decades. The, the, the engines of American mediocrity that allow children of poor and working class families to advance on their merits, regardless of race. Or the argument made recently by the New York Times classical uh, music critic to do away with blind auditions for orchestras. So they're trying to lower the goalposts so that uh, or lower the, the, the basketball goal so, so that you can dunk. That's basically what it's saying. Like we need to make this thing fair all the way around. We need to look. And that should be an insult to someone who would be a minority or someone who would be seen as the victim. We got to lower it so you can get on here. And that's still to me, a representation of power over you. I'm going to lower it so you can meet up to where, you know, where you need to be. Man, how, how do you take that and not be insulted? This is crazy. But this is the things that critical race theory, you know, spout. In fact, any feature of human existence that creates disparity of outcomes must be eradicated. The nuclear family, uh, politeness, even uh, rationality itself can be defined as inherently racist or evidence of white supremacy. So to have a nuclear family, a husband and a wife with children, to be polite or to be rational itself can be uh, seen as being inherently racist or evidence of white supremacy. What? That's crazy. So are you saying that (laughs) having a, a family that's intact, being polite and being rational is seen as white supremacy? I thought that was being great upstanding individuals. To have a family, to be ra- to think rationally, to be polite. That's seen as features of white supremacy, su- supremacy, as the uh, Smithsonian Institute su- suggested this summer. 
Then it talks about charter schools. The KIPP charter schools recently eliminated the phrase work hard. They eliminated the phrase work hard from its famous model, work hard, be nice. What? So we want people to be mediocre. And if you work hard, that's white supremacy. That's crazy. The idea of working hard is white supremacy. Man, tell that to my grandfather, my dad. Like, it, it's, it's just craziness what's going on. It goes on to say, uh, it talks about the guy that I talked about. The most powerful ex, uh, exponent of the worldview is Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, is on the top of every bestseller list. Uh, his photograph graces GQ. He is on Time's Most Influential People of the Year. And his outfit at Boston University was recently awarded $10 million from Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. According to Kendi, we are all either racist or anti-racist. To be a good person and not a bad person, you must be an anti-racist. There is no neutrality. No such thing as not racist. Indeed, uh, Kendi wants to ban those words from the dictionary. Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s most famous speech would not meet Kendi's definition of anti-racism, nor would the one Barack Obama made about there being too many fatherless black families. Indeed, nearly everything that Americans have been taught about how to be anti-racist for the past several decades is, according to Kendi's explicit definition, racist. This stuff is backwards, y'all. This article goes on to say it's a rhetorically brilliant strategy. Racism is the gravest sin in the American life. Who would ever want to be anything other than an anti-racist? And so, under the guise of a righteous effort to achieve overdue justice and equality uh, of opportunity for black Americans, Kendi and his ideological allies are presenting Americans with a zero-sum choice. Conform to their worldview or be uh, indistinguishable from the likes of Richard Spencer. So basically, if you don't conform to this, for the old school, you are Bull Connor. <laughs> if you don't conform to this, you are the ones that are, you know, uh, have the hoses spraying down people as they're marching for, for freedom to vote. It's crazy. And just in case uh, moral suasion is ineffective, Kendi has backup. Use the power of the federal government to make it so, to fix the original sin of racism, he wrote in Political. Americans should pass an anti-racist am amendment to the U.S. Constitution that enshrines two guiding anti-racist principles. Racial inequity is evidence of racist policy and the different racial groups are equals. To back up the amendment, he proposes a Department of Anti-Racism. This department would have the power to investigate not just local governments, but private businesses and would punish those who do not voluntarily change their racist policy and ideas. Goes on to say, imagine how such a department would view a Jewish day school, which suggests that the Jews are God's chosen people, let alone one that teaches Zionism. Or how they would view Christians. For saying that we believe what the Bible says about sexuality, partiality. I'm telling you, we have to sound the alarm 
because this stuff is going on in the church today. Look it up. Critical race theory, intersectionality. Look that stuff up. Get familiar. And I'll put some links uh, in the archive so you can learn more about it, too. This has been Aaron Addison's American Family Radio. Be back tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.